Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, Right of First Refusal, Part 2. Here we go. Let's take the other extreme, the, the folks who think that overscheduling, right? Just if I block 110% of my available time, 10 hours a day, right? that's a blanket defense against going to meetings I don't want to go to. That doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> and I think yeah. you know, because I think you shared with me about trying it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, look, the first time I learned as a young person, as a young manager that the only way you can survive as an executive is to handle your time effectively to manage your priorities and to make sure your priorities get attention by putting them on your calendar. My calendar was immediately filled with my priorities. And suddenly I was unavailable. <laughs> I was <laughs> magically unavailable. It was great. It's great. It's and, awesome. Yeah. That you're well loved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the whole relationship piece. It results is one thing, but relationships are the other part of that equation, right? Folks, to Mike's point, I made the rookie mistake of thinking, if in fact I need to manage my priorities and if I needed to put the right things on my calendar first, in order, by the way, I, at the time I was doing it, I didn't realize that I would therefore get the right of first refusal I was just saying I needed to put my priorities on my calendar. If you fill up your calendar with priorities, by the way, that doesn't work. A, a totally full calendar doesn't work, not just because of the blanket defense issue, but but also because you give yourself no flexibility and changes happen. And then you become you end up spending all of your time managing your calendar and the changes that come down. But yeah, look, the mistake I made was putting all my priorities on the calendar and you immediately give people the impression that you're not available for their priorities. And as Stephen Covey has taught us a hundred times, when we're young, we're dependent upon our parents. We crave and then we gradually learn and we gradually get independence. And we think because of that process that therefore independence is the, the pinnacle when in fact that's only a way station along the way to the pinnacle, which is interdependence, being able to count on other people to contribute to the needs that you have for the organization. You can't just fill up your calendar so that you can say no. It doesn't work that way, folks. You can try that, but – you know, you, as my dad used to say, you can take more than you give, but only for a little while until they run you out of town. You can't make up things that allow you to either electronically, silently be unavailable, right? When people look at your calendar, gosh, he's busy all the time. You can't electronically be sending a message, I'm busy, which by the way, people use that. They say, oh, I'm swamped, uh, which we'll talk about later. You can't also have a calendar that's full only because you're filling it up so that you can defend yourself and then look down at your calendar when people come up to your desk and say, oh, it's, nope, sorry, I'm busy then. Yeah. People see through that really quickly. <laughs> yeah, they do. And and look, even they, they see through it in a number of ways. But look, even if they don't, you simply won't be able to live by our next recommendation, which is, of course, doing what's on your calendar. If you're overscheduled, you're going to start chafing against your calendar. You're going to start looking at it after having already been going, 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 going hour after hour after after hour after hour. And you're just not going to be able to deliver to yourself what you have on your calendar. It's just you're not going to be able to do it. 
Right. And if you can't do it, then why schedule it? Because then you're defeating the whole purpose of the calendar anyways, which is to put your priorities on it and actually get them done. Okay. What you say is true, but there are people who are saying, yeah, but I'm not getting everything done now. So I might as well just have my calendar full so that I therefore increase the chances I'll get done the things I want to get done. But yeah, they're putting the cart before the horse. You're absolutely right. But but look, the question that everybody is thinking, I, I'm sure everybody's thinking, okay, fine. I can't overschedule as a way to defend myself. Right? I can't just fill up my calendar so that therefore I get magically and, and by the way, passively, I get this right of first refusal. The question people are having is, okay, what's overscheduled? Yeah. What's too much? Right? Exactly. How much is too much? And, and look, I get this question probably once a month and everybody's situation is different. As a general rule, almost everyone who's hearing this podcast, this guidance – has too many meetings on their calendar. But separate from what's actually on your calendar, if you need a general rule for your time, for scheduling your time, if you have time for achieving your priorities on your calendar, okay, now now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you how much free time you should keep on a calendar that has crap on it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that because I'm not I'm I'm not going to teach you how to be more efficient at doing the wrong things. I told somebody that recently in an email. Mike, I think I shared this with you. Somebody wrote into Wendy and said, "I have a question. I'm fairly new. I don't like my job. What should I do?" And Wendy and I collaborated an answer which said, "Yeah, you don't probably want to do what you're suggesting you're going to do and that's probably not a good idea." And he wrote right back and said, "Well, I disagree." <laughs> okay. Good. And he said, so I want you to tell me how I'm going to do, how, how do you recommend I do what, what I want to do? And I can't quote myself exactly. I wish I could, because it was one of those emails when I read it after the fact, I'm like, oh, that turned out okay. And the email said something like, we don't give recommendations on what we've already told people not to do. <laughs> and then I went on to say, I don't want you to be more efficient at things that don't work. And then, by the way, I also told him, it's a really bad form to ask an expert for an advice, Wendy being the expert, and then tell him or her that you disagree. It's just it's just not done. Uh, it's okay to disagree. It's just not okay to say it out loud after somebody's taking their time to help you. So, look, I'm only going to give this, uh, this recommendation based on folks already having time for achieving their priorities on their calendar. But if you have time on your calendar for getting your priorities done, and I don't mean – so much time that you're literally overscheduled, right? And you actually get that work done. When you add in all the meetings you go to and the time scheduled, hopefully you have time scheduled for email and other sundry calendar items, don't schedule more than 75% of your time. Hopefully we'll get a lot of email about that one. And what I mean by that, let me be clear, 25% of the time on your calendar in every given day, and I'm not including lunch, by the way, if you take lunch every day, is unscheduled. Why? Because queuing theory says if the schedule is fully booked, you are incredibly inefficient, not just as a human being, but also because you have no slack in the system. And having some slack is necessary relative to the theory of constraints, if you've read Eli Goldratt or any other queuing theory you'd have to, to look at. And calendars do abide by certain rules of queuing theory. 
Really? Does your your calendar changes? Like I know my, my calendar. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't never changes. Actually. I mean, nobody ever cancels meetings or moves meetings or anything. It's just it's, it's yeah. the gospel. It never never happens. In fact, I'm really wondering why we're even talking about calendars because your and my calendars never change, right? So exactly. how could we possibly give good advice, good recommendations to people whose calendars are constantly changing? Folks, we exactly. know that your we're, calendar- we're recording this podcast at, at one a.m. in the morning, and of course that was on my calendar. That's that's yeah, what I totally planned on doing yeah. it. Gosh, if I didn't love this job so much, I wouldn't want to be recording now. But for some reason, I'm really enjoying this. Um, Folks, look, we know you're busy. But the fact is, if you schedule yourself fully, I bet if you really give yourself a hard look and you're not the president of the United States, and if if you are the president of the United States, please send us an email. And if you schedule yourself so fully, there's no breaks in your day. I'll bet you $100 right now that you're not doing everything on your calendar. And please don't try to impress me or Mike by saying you're triple scheduled because I've checked and metaphysically, you're only in one place at a time. It's just a rule. You know, I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's just a rule. Things change. Calendar items move around. And you also need time for emergent items, stuff that happens during the day. You need an hour to get to something. And I have to tell you something. I remember talking to an executive years ago. He said, Mark, from 9 until 11.45 every morning, I'm fully booked because I've discovered that's when people come to me with big problems. And I say, look, I'll be happy to address them. But frankly, if I don't discover the problem, it's probably not as big as other people think it is. And when they come to me between 9 and 11.45, I say to them, look, I'm swamped. I'm busy. And I can talk to you in the 15 minutes before lunch, or I can talk to you at 12.45 when I get back from lunch. And what I discovered was The problems were a lot less significant when I talked to them a couple hours later because they already worked on things. And that, by the way, disincentivized them in the future to always be coming to me with every single problem and escalating to my level. And I don't think people realize that every time you go to your boss with anything, this is this manager talking to me, this executive, he says, every time you go to your boss with something, you're escalating. And escalations are expensive and they take time. So things happen. You need time, frankly, not only for things that happen, but also to be trumped. I mean, You say to your boss, I'm sorry, I'm in a one-on-one at one o'clock. And then she says, I'm sorry, but I really need you at one o'clock. They're the two people in the meeting. The only time we all have available is one o'clock and you're the lowest ranking guy. You're going to move it. You're going to move that one o'clock. Well, if you don't have any free time in your day and it's Thursday afternoon and you don't want to do a one-on-one Friday afternoon at five o'clock, you're unable to complete that one-on-one. And it's not because you don't want to spend time with your direct. It's because you are overscheduled. And look, we could talk about this for hours and we will in future guidance talking about queuing theory and how to handle your calendar in terms of the details and so on. And, and I'll just give you a little hint. Every single time something comes up on your calendar, ask yourself, how important is that relative to my priorities? And if it's less important, it doesn't happen as fast. And if you don't do that, you're always going to be at the mercy of the urgent as opposed to the strategy of what's important. And look, if you're already at 80% and you still don't have email time on there on your calendar and your calendar is not your priorities, it's frankly, folks, it's time to start delegating some stuff to include meetings you go to. How many executives and managers have we talked to say, I go to these meetings, four or five meetings a week that are just worthless. And then they say, and I'm really busy. I said, fine, delegate the meeting. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Well, actually, yeah, you can. You can. (laughs) Because you just don't want so to. Important? Oh, oh, no. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not important. I don't do anything in the meeting. Well, well, there's a risk. Yeah, I know there's a risk. And there's a risk in you being so busy that you can't get the things that you're paid to do done. Why wouldn't you accept a, miss for, a risk for missing a meeting rather than missing a deliverable? Yeah. 
There's yeah. always risk. Just pick which one you want to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's part of being an executive, right? The transition from manager to executive is understanding risk and being willing to choose a lower level of risk, not eliminating risk. Oh gosh. If you want to eliminate risk, get a different job. Yeah. No such thing. Okay. Now this is obvious and we've already said it, right? Once you put your priorities on your calendar, you have to make sure you do what's on your calendar, right? You can't oh, I actually was hoping you didn't say, wouldn't say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You t- Look, it's real simple. You take control of your calendar. Don't overschedule it, right? And then if it's on your calendar, if you want to have credibility when you engage in the right of first refusal, you've got to be seen by other people as doing what you say you're doing. The calendar has to be not just a paper document, but a reflection of your activities. A paper document says you're supposed to be at X at a given time. If you're not at X at a given time, then it's not a reflection. And so therefore it's really, you know, it's a Potemkin village is really what it is. It makes no sense to see your calendar as an advanced record of your use of your most limited resource time. And by the way, folks, that's the first time in any cast I've ever said that. said that. So I want to say it again. I think it's for the third or fourth time in this cast. Your calendar is an advance record of your use of your most limited resource time to achieve your professional responsibilities. If, in fact, you believe that, it makes no sense to see your calendar that way and then ignore it behaviorally. Okay? It just makes no sense at all. If you're going to say no to a request for a project team meeting because you're writing one of your direct performance reviews, I'm sure this sounds really sort of lame, but you better be writing the performance review when the time comes. Right. It's as simple as that. And by the way, that example brings up an interesting scheduling challenge. I can hear people's wheels turning in their heads right now. And they say, well, Mark, I could always put off writing somebody's review. That's not a time sensitive thing. And this always reminds me of my fa- one of my favorite answers of all time, which is yes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Said with a sense of dismissiveness as if to suggest, yes, that's technically true, but it's not very smart. You could put that thing off. You could move it if it were on your calendar and you have taken control of your calendar and you've not waited until the last bloody minute to write it. And therefore, by the way, if you're writing a review at the last bloody minute, it's probably going to be written poorly, frankly. But at least if it's on your calendar – and you feel you must move it, you're moving it with an understanding of the impacts of the move on everything else, including the deadline of the deliverable, the writing of the review. And you've benefited already by its reasonable defensive position and posture on your calendar. If it's going to take Mike two hours to write my review, Maybe at the time that he gets a request between four and six one afternoon to write that review, if in fact, let's say Maggie looks at Mike's calendar when Mike is supposed to be writing my review because that's when he has it scheduled because he knows he needs two hours and you can't write a review in 121-minute segments in your head in the car or while you're running or on the treadmill, you actually have to put words to paper. Yeah, I've tried it. Doesn't work. Yeah, Yeah, I've tried it too. It doesn't work. And if it's on your calendar, Maggie looks at the calendar and goes, oh, Mike's busy then. That's the first line of defense. She doesn't ask. But if she decides to ask because something is emergent, something is urgent, something is important, something needs to be changed, at least when Mike moves it, because now he's comparing 
A month ago, when he put writing my review on his calendar, there was no competition for that time slot. He was planning an advanced record of his professional responsibilities and the time resource to meet them. Now there's a conflict or there's a potential conflict. It's okay to choose to move the writing or the review, but at least now you know what that impact is going to be on the rest of your calendar and you've compared it fairly and favorably to the impact that Maggie's request has. The other key point is it may get moved, but it's still on my calendar. If it not got, if it never got yeah, on my exactly. calendar in the first place, it would become a last minute thing by by yep. definition, right? That's Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on to the favorite part of this yes. cast, right? I mean, everybody's been waiting for it. So now we finally get to say no, right? We just go around saying no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is the two-year-old part of the cast. <laughs> Not for you. Would you please put on your dress? No. <laughs> you need to get in the shower now? No. It's time to take a bath? No. Bedtime? No. <laughs> Bunch of Would you like some cake? Would you like some cake? No. <laughs> Okay. We're in the no phase. Yeah. Look, the reason this is my favorite part of the the guidance here is you don't just go around saying no. In fact, if you want to think creatively, folks, the fact that you're now managing your priorities against your most perishable resource, time, you're now for the first time ever saying yes to what you're supposed to be delivering for your organization. This cast is not about saying no. It's about doing all the right things to say yes to the key deliverables. And if you're saying yes to the right things, it's not a big deal to say no. Many of you are not saying no because you don't feel you have a credible defense to support the no. If you start following the guidance in this cast, you'll feel more comfortable saying no. Simple as that. Okay. But there's smart ways to say no. And oh, yes, there, right? oh so, yes, there are. So let's talk a little bit about that. You just can't go around saying no. I already let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Yeah, the stupid way, There's this is the one stupid way that I hear. And, and by the way, the reason we're highlighting this, and folks, we don't mean to suggest you're stupid. We know you're not. But I'm a smart person, and I do stupid things, and I suspect that's true for many of you as well. Whatever you do, don't do what 80% of managers and executives do who aren't thinking clearly, aren't thinking about their relationships, and don't just say to other people, I'm swamped, okay? It's dumb to say it, and it's irritating. It is totally seen as a self-marketing ploy. Oh, he's busy, right? In fact, it's become a badge of honor. He's busy, and I'm not. He must be worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's become passe, I've always wanted to say something French in a podcast. It's it, it's passe. It's like, yeah, everybody's swamped. It literally has no weight, no credibility, no value at all. Yeah, when one of your friends comes to you and says, I need your help, you say, ah, I'm sorry, I'm swamped. It's literally like you're saying, you're a tool and I'm important. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've tried it before, doesn't work real well in terms of relationships. <laughs> Going around saying and saying, tool? hey, yeah, hey tool, I'm important, just generally doesn't work. Look, if you don't have your parties in your calendar or you're not really sticking to your calendar, if you're just using this guidance we're talking about here selfishly and then you start saying after a really cursory look at your calendar, you say something like, sorry, I'm swamped. Frankly, folks, you're behaving unprofessionally. Swamped, buried, can't do it. Just some vague waving off of someone asking for some help. 
is a blunt instrument and professionals know better than to do that. Okay. So don't do I'm swamped or I'm buried or I'm busy. Okay. On the other hand, let's talk about ways you can be more effective when you get a request for your time and in fairness to all the requests. And and look, there are some requests that are good and some that are not. In fairness, there are some that aren't going to meet your standard. How do you say no? The first thing you say, the most likely first step you would take is, I'm sorry, I'm not available then. This is what you say when you don't wish to be helpful to the requester because you perceive their request as not meeting whatever standards you've decided to apply to your counter. Maybe it's somebody three levels down in the organization. Maybe it's a peer that you don't have a great relationship with and you don't see why your people should be involved in that, even if he's throwing around the weight of his boss's boss. It happens. Many of you have dealt with this already. Or maybe it's about some idea that you know your boss is not going to let you do. So yeah. why waste oh, your time? Oh, it's a good one. That's a good one. I, you know, you mentioned that. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. I think we had a conversation about it. I'm amazed. The people who know their boss is going to say no to something, but somehow they feel obligated because a peer is talking to them to go forward on something. I'm like, what? You know your boss won't support it? Yeah, he's pretty much, he's no way he's going to like this. So why are you doing it? Well, you know, the guy asked. I'm trying to be respectful. What? Yeah. No, no. If you know your boss is going to say no, then no, you definitely want to say no. And that's what this cast is about. You say, I'm sorry, I'm not available then. Look, maybe somebody wants you to spend an hour doing them a favor and they're not someone for whom doing favors is really high on your list. Maybe they want you to meet to discuss something you know your boss won't let you do, to your point. Maybe they want you to, to go to a steering committee meeting for an HR initiative around coaching, for instance, but you already use manager tools and you know they're going to choose somebody else and you know you won't go along anyway. That's, that's probably a selfish answer there. I like that one. That's good. Yeah. Now, now, I want you to notice something here. I'm sorry I'm not available then. That response does not include, intentionally does not include a suggestion for a different time. This is a professional way a polite way, frankly, of saying, you have made a mistake believing that that item reaches my threshold for scheduling and also putting a time restriction on it, thus allowing me to deftly say no in a polite way by declining you based on the time. I like the more subtle way of saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah. But look, at this point, you're probably wondering, what if they come back and ask for a different time? Okay, and a good thought, nothing wrong with that, let's, but at the same time, let's not get ahead of ourselves. The question itself, just the fact that they come back and ask for a different time, implies a burden that we're going to have to suggest a different time. And frankly, folks, that's not necessarily so. First of all, there are some folks who are trying to schedule a bunch of people. If they've made the mistake of coming to you last and only having one time available, they may be smart enough to not ask you what time you're available, because if you only give them one time, they ought to know going back to everyone else is likely to yield a similar solution, which is asynchronous, which is not a solution at all. Second, don't assume that they're asked for a different time necessarily creates a, an obligation or a deliverable for you. 
you have several options. You can be directly polite and say, unfortunately, I don't see that as being something I can contribute to. Unfortunately, I don't see that as something I can reasonably spend time on. Unfortunately, I don't see that as something that I can justify to my boss. Unfortunately, I don't see that as something that our relationship justifies. Unfortunately, I don't see that as something that fits with my priorities. Now, a couple of those phrases that I just mentioned are probably shocking to people. They think them. They're just afraid to say them. And so because we're afraid to say them, we're afraid to say it out loud. I don't see how my organization helping you on this fits with my priorities. Because you're afraid to say that, you then fritter away the most important resource of your organization, time and productivity on something that you know darn well doesn't fit within your priorities. And the moment you do that, the moment you say yes, because you're afraid to say no, you're the one who's messing up you and your team's productivity and calendaring and priority management, which is to say their time management as well. Right. And folks, if you're completely shocked by it and aghast, yeah, I can yeah. assure you this happens every day in executive land all the time. Yeah. I mean, sorry, but look, we can prove it. Folks, have you ever sent an email to an executive with a request that they haven't responded to? Oh, they, they didn't get it. The email got lost. Yeah. Look, that's what they're saying. But because you don't have the guts, no offense, I don't mean that rudely at all, please don't take but because you don't follow up with them because you're afraid you've irritated them and they're not responding and you know what their non-response is, but you don't want to give word, put words to it, there you go. They're saying, I'm not going to do this. This isn't important. Now, look, that said, if you're feeling that maybe you can't justify saying no again after they've ignored your first professionally deft demural... <laughs> You can go to plan B, which, which we can talk about now. Okay. What's plan B? Right. So if you say, I'm sorry, I'm not available, whether or not you do step A or not, but you can use plan B after step A, or you can use it as a different answer. You could say, I'm not available then, would blank time work? Now, this response has two subparts to the answer. The first answer is based on a request that you deem reasonable. If you're wondering about whether or not something is reasonable, please refer to our examples of demurrals about whether or not something you can reasonably spend time on or something you justify to your boss or something about the relationship or something that fits you with priorities, so on, or budget, so on. If you put it through those criteria and you can't figure it out, then okay, it's probably unreasonable. But let's say there are two possibilities. One is a reasonable request and the other one is an unreasonable request. If it's a reasonable request, we respond with a different time, listen carefully, which we have available, which meets as you see it, the general timeliness suggested by the request. In other words, if they want time today and you think that's a fair request, but you're busy today, you suggest a different time today or perhaps one tomorrow or worst case morning of the day after tomorrow. As a different example, if they request a time next week, respond with a different time in that week or similarly the following week if that's when their request is for, okay? And these are what we call similarly timely responses to a reasonable request. And by the way, the further out their request for your time is, generally, the greater the leeway you have to provide alternate times. If they want your time three weeks from now, then you can, you can respond, I can't do that, but I can do something in five weeks. 
You can't say to a request for your time tomorrow morning, if you believe the request is reasonable, you can't say, I have time in five weeks. Right. So you, you see this, the, the subtlety here is we're not suggesting just defer everybody for five weeks. That's not the point. You have to assess the reasonableness of the request. Do you believe this is fair based on what you understand your responsibilities are, what your relationship is this person, is, what, what they do for the organization, how powerful they are, and so on? You have to ask, is it reasonable? And if so, what's the timeliness? And if it's reasonable, the timeliness must be of a piece with their request. If they want something tomorrow, you should try to rearrange something for tomorrow or the next day or perhaps the day after. If they want something three weeks from now, because it's a longer time period, the variation, the variance between what they ask for and what you give can be much greater. If they ask for three weeks, you can give them something five weeks in the future. Right. Okay. So what do I do, though, if the request they made doesn't meet my reasonableness standard. What do I do then? Yeah, that's easy. Just don't answer the email. Okay. (laughs) 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 Well, but okay. Okay. We we joke about that. But you and I were recently in New York. Our good friend, Dan McGuire, shared with me. Actually, I take that back. I think you had actually left because of the earthquake, right? Yes. And Dan McGuire, Dan, our good friend, Dan, was co-presenting with me at the conference in New Jersey. And he shared with me an email he had gotten about a request for his time from somebody in a different part of the organization. And he'd had it on his desk for several days. And I said, oh, that's an interesting request. And it was multiple paragraphs. And in the last of like nine paragraphs, there were some questions for Dan. And it was a multi-part question, by the way. Somebody, by the way, he didn't even know. And he's like, yeah, I don't have time for this one right now. And he marked it as unread, saying to himself, he'll get back to it. And then I said, oh, yeah, you get back to it. And I sure, kind of chuckled like, yeah, okay, you're deferring the response. And he says, well, yeah, but <laughs> I'm going to look at it again in two weeks and not do it again. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and I'm sure there are people right now, managers shaking their heads going, no, I can't believe they do that. But recognize something, folks. Every executive above you has bigger fish to fry. Um, the reason they were given those bigger fish to fry is because they fried smaller fish when they were at your levels and they did it well. And the organization trusts them to make good decisions. And he made a reasonable decision based on this person, the relative value to his organization of what they were requesting, and the amount of time it would take for him, and whether or not he could solve the problem. Well, he, he made one good decision by not responding, but then he, yeah. about, he made a bad decision by leaving it in his inbox. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I think, I think what he actually said was he's going to um, defer it to Susan and she's going to solve the problem, which is not unusual for an executive as chief of staff. Right. But look, okay, fine. The question now becomes, okay, what if their request is not reasonable? Right. If you do not deem the request for whatever to meet the reasonableness standard, you suggest a different time after and outside the general timeliness suggested by the request. So to use our example, if the request is for today, you suggest an alternate time next week. If the request is for next week, recommend a time three weeks from now. And look, we could go around and around this tree and there are people who are saying, wow, I can't believe that. That happens to me all the time. Yes. And those people are saying to you, your requests don't make sense to them. They probably don't have a relationship with you, which at least in fact, in small, in, in part is your fault. They don't understand how that fits in with them, with what their responsibilities are. And so they're attempting to use their calendar to defer 
addressing your concerns. They would have more credibility with you, of course, if you had a better relationship with them. Again, part of that is your responsibility. And if their calendar were as full as you expected it to be. But of course, nowadays, what we've learned is people don't even do this anymore. They just look for an open spot on somebody's calendar and then put a request in. And people seem unwilling to say no. And suddenly people's calendars fill up. How do you avoid your calendar filling up with stuff you don't want to do? Put stuff on your calendar you do want to do. Simple as that. And look, if in fact somebody comes to you and asks for a time and you determine that it's not reasonable for you, for your organization, for your priorities, whatever, and you put a, a, an alternate time out that doesn't work for them and it's way in the future, if none of the times you suggest work for the person who's requesting, and by the way, they're requesting the most precious of all your resources, you can simply say to them, I'm sorry, we can't make this work. And that's their clue to either go away or to acquiesce to your calendar. Now, mind you folks, we've said it before, manager tools, many of our recommendations can be used for ill. If you're not an ethical person, you can jump right to this part of this cast and say, aha, these are the phrases I can use that Mark and Mike tell me I can use to get away with deferring everything. No, don't take it out of context. You've got to do the first couple of steps right. You've got to take control of your calendar and you've got to be doing the things on your calendar. And then and only then are you credible when you say no. Right. And look, to be clear, all of the scenarios we're talking about that we just give you examples of work best with your peers and your directs, though they can work with bosses in some cases. But look, bosses can trump us, right? Which, of course, is fine because that's part of what this gas is about. And as we've said before, many times, partially in jest and partially in truth, because, of course, in all humor, there is truth. If it bothers you that your boss can trump you, you, there's a solution to that. Get promoted twice, and then suddenly you can trump them. Yeah. Okay. So well, let's talk about this trumping thing because I, I know a lot of folks are probably disappointed because what, really what they want is protection from their their boss and bosses. Uh, yeah. Okay. I didn't, I didn't think about it that meeting, way, but so. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. This cast is not about protecting you from your boss. Should we have said that in the beginning? I don't. Yeah. No, like okay, we've sorry. ever, ever had yeah. a cast about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, next week though, right? No, maybe not. I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe I was not. confused. Yeah, look, you can and you should be trumped by your boss. Your boss and those are those people who are his boss and various other senior people in your firm can simply trump you because that's the way hierarchy works in an organization. Remember, the name of this cast is the right of first refusal, not the right of refusal ad infinitum ad nauseum. The whole point of this cast is not to inoculate you from ever having new requests that mess up your schedule, but rather to learn how to manage those requests professionally. It's not so much that we're trying to teach you how to say no. It's learning how no, the idea of no, fits into the varying responsibilities and the managing of urgent versus important tasks, which Stephen Covey covers far better than we do. So we learn how to say no. And that's what this cast is about. And if someone whom you believe has some power over your activities says something like, sorry, or that's not going to work for me, or you're not hearing me, or I don't think you understand, or we've already got several people confirmed for that time, or 
figure out what to move, Chowderhead. It's time to gracefully roll over, right? I mean, if your boss says to you, figure out what to move, Chowderhead, hopefully he or she has a <laughs> sense of humor. If the word Chowderhead is involved, you're being trumped. Oh, is, is that how you know? Chowderhead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But look, if they say, I don't think you understand, or we've already got several people confirmed, or figured out what to move, or you're not hearing me, or that's not going to work for me, or gee, sorry, I respect that you're busy, and dot, dot, dot. It's that chin sticking forward, face coming forward a little bit. It's the visual ellipsis, a friend of mine once said. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Right. With the chin coming for, I'm sorry. What? With, with a little shake of a head, like, are you actually suggesting you're too busy to meet with your boss who writes your review? Yeah. You're being trumped. And you know what, folks? Be smart. After everything we've said, this is only the right of first refusal. If you control your calendar and you get the right things on your calendar, and then you get those things done and you learn how to say no to requests that don't fit into the priorities you have. And then you still get trumped. Then be smart and say something like, got it, boss, or I'll move stuff around or, ah, I got it. Or I'll be there. Or I get it. I'll worry about my schedule later. Or I can make that happen. Or see you then. Don't have your boss get involved in moving stuff around in your calendar. The moment you decide that what your boss wants you to do is important, which is to say pretty much always, you've been trumped, let it go. Stop trying to think that this cast is about you having a pristine calendar. It's not. It's about managing the diversity of requests that come in that make your future record of your priority, managing your most precious resource of time, relative priorities, that make that messy. This is how to handle the messiness so that you can still get your major priorities accomplished. So I got it. I'll move stuff around. I'll be there. I'll worry about my schedule later. I can make that happen. See you then, boss. No problem. I'm on it, period, and walk away. And then later, when he's gone, when she's gone, close your door, Put your head in your hands and shake and go, dang it, I'm, I'm frustrated. And then rearrange things on your calendar. And if you're spending hours making your calendar look just so, you're not in a dynamic environment and you probably ought to spend less time on making it perfect and recognize that perfection when it comes to a perishable resource which is always overburdened is inherently a false standard. What you want is a dynamic sort of tension in your calendar, and that's why this cast exists, to help you deal, to give you some defensibility against the nose, but also to know that if you leave some space in your calendar, you'll be able to manage around it. Look, there's another benefit, by the way, to the, the schedule. If the time that you were being asked for weren't scheduled, there's many of us who would have in our heads and probably only in our heads, the idea that we would use that to write Smith's end of year review, right? You were thinking the bosses come down, ask for some time in the back of your minds. You're thinking, Oh yeah, I was going to use that time to write Smith's review. But now the boss has taken the time. And because of how most of our brains work, the only thing that gets done when there are a lot of changes to our written calendars is what is actually on the calendar. And look, folks, by having our priorities on our calendar, 
we don't lose time we had set aside for something. If it's not on your calendar and something trumps it like your boss, you feel like you lost time to get something done that was actually important. But if it's on your calendar, you don't lose it. You just move stuff around. And we suspect most of you do that with the meetings you have already. But what's happening is other people are moving the meetings. In fact, they get you to a meeting and then the meeting doesn't actually work out and two key people can't agree to it. And so they move the meeting. But because you're already signed up for the first time, the fact that the next time they pick doesn't work for you, they don't care anymore. They're saying, look, you're going to have to move that. We've got seven of the nine people and the two senior people aren't, aren't on board, but they are on board this time. So now we're going to have to rearrange things. Well, okay. Maybe you should have thought a little bit harder about before you just agreed and said yes to any uh, request. So again, by having your priorities in your calendar, you don't lose time you set aside for something. Frankly, Mike, it's too bad. We all sort of learn how to be good at something, which is moving stuff around on our calendars, making the puzzle pieces sort of fit together. And then we only apply it to meetings, which is really not why our calendars exist, even though they need to be on there. And we don't apply it to more important stuff like making sure our priorities stay on our calendar by moving those things around when we get something emergent from our boss who can trump us. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So wrapping up, four points. The right of first refusal says if you're already scheduled, you can legitimately say no to requests for your time. You got to take control of your calendar first, and then you get to say no. There's a right way to say no, and then there's also a right way to be trumped. And there are times when you can and should be trumped, and that's okay. And frankly, folks, what we know is if there's nothing on your calendar, we can guess that probably 80% of you are doing email, which you oughtn't to be doing, but okay, that's a separate issue. But you might also be being signed up at that very moment when you're doing email, you might also be being signed up for a meeting that isn't the best use of your time. You won't even know what it is. You know, people select your time and yeah, well, he's available, so we'll schedule the time then. Become an executive in terms of how you think about time. Schedule your priorities and then make your priorities happen. When you get requests that don't fit, say no. Yeah, you may get trumped, but you might be surprised how often your calendar stays within reason with just this simple professional behavioral change. This is how executives live every day of their life with the right of first refusal. Absolutely. And even if you're not an executive yet, I think we covered this earlier, you can still start acting like an executive. Learn it now. Learn it now. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, partner. All right, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you all next week. Meantime, have a great one. So long.